Today is Tuesday, October 27th, and Clemson's coach elimination tour continues as we are 7-0 and counting. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to our Week 9 preview. This week, Clemson and North Carolina State vie for the honor of top textile program in the Carolinas. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to encourage everyone, if this is your first time listening or if you are a repeat listener, please visit iTunes after the show today and uh, write us a review. Really appreciate any sort of... Uh, you know, reviews you could write, star rating you could put up there, but this is how folks uh, looking for the podcast or looking for any Clemson content out there are going to be able to find us. So uh, we appreciate that. I appreciate you telling your friends as well. Um, thank you for that. Maybe before we start, Ben, um, it's just you and me today. Cody is um, not with us this evening, but why don't we share with the group what we're drinking this evening? Um, yeah, so my uh, quest uh, to find a... Uh East Coast uh, craft beer in my local corner stores continues, and I was unable to, to to find one tonight, even though I changed venues. So I at least went with a different style uh, of beer, moving away from the IPAs. And tonight from uh, North Coast Brewing Company, uh, we have a uh, Le Merlet, um, if I'm pronouncing uh, that correctly. I don't think you are. Well, whatever. In my southern pronunciation, <laughs> Le Merlet. Uh, it's a Cezanne, Belgian-style farmhouse ale. It's pretty good. Yeah, North Coast, they're up in Fort Bragg, right on the coast. Um, they're about probably two and a half hours north of San Francisco. They do they do pretty good beer up there. It's north of Mendocino. Um, Mendocino is where Anderson, is it Anderson? Anyway, the guys make Boont Amber Ale. Those guys are up there too. So um, good beer out there on the coast. If you guys find anything from North Coast, we endorse that. Um, later on, we might be switching it up to Pabst Blue Ribbon, uh, another, another fine fine beer <laughs> there's an east coast beer we can find are they east coast it's milwaukee well whatever so halfway there middle of the country <laughs> exactly we're getting there um before we move on to actual football content um wanted to send a quick congrats to our basically unofficial fourth host uh graham and his wife katie they welcomed the arrival of their uh son cooper this past friday night i think it was saturday morning in the wee hours so uh congrats to you guys can't wait to meet you cooper um yeah, yeah. Stuff. Uh, he made it, uh, you know, just before kickoff of the Miami game. Graham was back in the waiting room, able to watch uh, that beatdown. So uh, good timing, Coop. And in related news, this may be my last podcast for some time. I'm expecting the birth of my first child as well. Um, next couple, next few days. So we will see. Yeah, congrats and good luck to you guys uh, for the rest of our podcast listeners. Uh, fortunately for you, uh, Cody and I, uh, no plans in the immediate future to. <laughs> to bring any offspring into this world. Good stuff. Well, we will see. Um, so, guys, if you've been living under a rock, you, you might not have known. Clemson won their last matchup. Uh, we beat Miami in a resounding victory, 58-0. And as everyone knows, Florida is just a, you know, a wellspring of talent for college, college football players. Um, and there's been a couple write-ups this week from some really tr trusted Clemson media sources Talking about this game's impact on recruiting, um, I think some folks were interviewing Tony Elliott to that effect, 
and just opinions were flying around of what a great effect this could have on our recruiting ability um, in that part of the country. And I feel like, you know, we, we fully agree with that. I think we touched on that in our recap. Um, so as, as we sort of evolve coming out of that game, I think there's been a number of positive effects for our program, just in terms of obviously the AP polls moving us up to number three. If you look at almost any media outlet, any, any writer, any college football kind of personality, almost all of them have Clemson in their top four at this point. I think the expectation is that we will um, be able to make it through our schedule and make it into that playoff. So uh, Ben, any thoughts on kind of our recruiting capability there? And do you, you know, from what you've read, from what you glean, um, do you feel like this is going to help us out actually in the short term, like with a 2016 class? Yeah, I think this uh, game is, uh, and this win, historic win, is more than just instant gratification. I think it's really going to have a lot of uh, long-term effects on recruiting uh, because you really look at the teams that we're up against in the state of Florida and how we've gained ground on them in recent years. You know, Miami's not what they used to be. Florida has been down for a while, and we've kind of been in this back-and-forth battle with Florida State. So to go in there and, and to have a win like this, 58 to nothing, and be as dominant as we are, we skyrocket to number three in the country. This really makes an impression uh, on these athletes in, in South Florida recruiting hotbed. You know, I would really say at this point it's, it's us, Florida State, and Alabama who are probably the, the front runners in recruiting in that state. I think I agree with you, and we're all, we're also at a moment here where there's other programs that have gone down there and recruited heavily, Georgia, Tennessee, even South Carolina, that now I'd have to put all three of those programs behind Clemson in terms of just output on the on the football field, potential brand in the region, et cetera, um, where we would, you know, in the past few years, potentially be going head-to-head with those schools. I think we may have the advantage. Yeah, and you know, and it's a it's a culture. You know, the the coaches talk about the the Clemson culture that we have to offer, and you know, it's it's not kind of the uh, the, the bad boys of Miami or some of the uh, trouble you see some uh, Florida State guys get into. Uh, same thing with Florida. You know, it's obviously Clemson has we have our fair share. Guys do get in trouble, but overall, we we have a very uh, in, by comparison a very clean program. And Davo does a really good job. So. That's what you have to, to sell these guys, you know. And we're not just the Mr. Nice Guy Tommy Bowden program anymore. You know, we're an elite football team right now. And so teams can't use that against us in recruiting. We are elite, and we compare very favorably to, to the other teams in the state of Florida. And then a team like Alabama, you know, we're getting there. You know, that recruits that area so well. Something that I've noted um, so far this year that I think just has to be completely helping us with with would-be recruits has has to do obviously with style of play but also just the likability of our head coach and the I think his engagement with players and with recruits so I think all of the Clemson social media accounts be it from Vine be it from Instagram and Twitter etc um, they're just doing tre- tremendous work over there and you, you see Dabo dancing with his players you see the attitude of the players in those videos in the locker room like how how much fun they're having what 16 year old 17 year old would not want to be part of that and you see them kicking ass on the field clemson's got you know very a very marquee look to us you know we're not the style and flash of oregon's uniforms we've got a bright signature orange we've got that paw Um, i feel like our brand is in a spot that it's really the best it's been ever and a lot of the Dabo stuff seems to be working as well he's very well liked yeah i mean our program is branded well we have a coach that can really relate 
to to his players. You know, did, did Mal, Al Golden look like he could relate to those Miami players? I don't think so. Does Jimbo Fisher necessarily look like he can relate to those Florida State players? Doesn't seem like it to me. I don't even know how Nick Saban relates well to his players, other than the fact that, that he's able to produce very good teams and turn a lot of those guys into NFL talent. Um, so obviously that's a huge draw, but you know we're starting to get to that point as well. We're putting a lot of guys in the NFL, at least for a Clemson team, and that's a, that's a huge draw for these kids as well. So we're starting to add so many different layers of complexity. It's not just a nice uh, out-of-the-way place to go to school where it's hard to get in trouble anymore. No, we have some of the best facilities in the country. And we also have one of the best coaching staffs by you know my estimation in the country, and we're starting to produce NFL players. So you put all these things and combine them together, and you start looking at an elite program where kids where kids really want to come to school to play. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. Um, elsewhere, some developments this week: Las Vegas and the casinos there have updated the the odds for the Heisman champion this year. Um, no, no major shifts at the top of that list. You've got Leonard Fournette. You've got Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State. Uh, certainly Trevon Boykin from TCU, the quarterback. But Deshaun Watson has moved up into that list. I think he's tied for fourth in terms of most likely odds to win the Heisman. Um, as I look at this list and as I look at some of the players that he's being compared to, I just don't know if Deshaun's stats sort of stack up. Um, I think it's a very running back heavy list, in fact. Some of the names that stick out to me with Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott, Christian McCaffrey even at Stanford, um, and, and of course Fournette. I mean, there may be better running backs this year than there are quarterbacks, relatively. No, there really are. And I'm, I'm really kind of surprised to see Watson high on a lot of these lists. You know, I think he's uh, four on uh, SI.com and uh, seven uh, on USA Today. Um, you know, if you just compare apples to apples on the quarterbacks, Javon Boykin has a thousand more passing yards. Um, 10 more passing TDs, two less interceptions, uh, 100 more rushing yards, and two more rushing TDs. So, I mean, when you just take the numbers alone and stack them up together, like, you know, that's not even a close comparison. Both teams are undefeated. Granted, uh, I think ultimately Clemson is a better team. I don't think TC has a defense. And unfortunately, how these Heisman things work out a lot is that it's not only your individual performance and ability, but your record has a lot to play into that. So that's where we'll get into like, uh, you know, a team like uh, Memphis with their QB Paxton Lynch, who has put up a really good numbers this year, but do they have the schedule? Yeah, they have the win against Ole Miss, but do they trip up this season? And like a one loss for a Memphis team could really uh, put him, you know, out of the out of the Heisman race easily. But LSU loses one, Linder Fournette's still in there, Trevon Boykin, TCU could lose two. And you can blame that on their defense because you know their offense isn't going to uh, stutter. Yeah. And he's going to continue to put up numbers. So I just don't see how Watson, you know, kind of lines up against those two guys. And then you throw into the mix, you know, Dalvin Cook at FSU. I know they lost to Georgia Tech, but he's put up a lot of good numbers and looked really electric this year. Uh, Ohio State's running back, Ezekiel Elliott, has really come on. Um, yeah, and some other guys like, you know, Unfortunately, Baylor's quarterback went down, so I think their wide receiver, Corey Coleman, who has put up great numbers this year, um, isn't really going to have a shot because his, his production is going to be limited. But you look at a, you know, a wide receiver from T TCU, Josh uh, Doxson. You know, we don't see a lot of wide receivers necessarily win it, but he's putting up great numbers. So there's just too much talent there across the board. Uh, and, and 
part of it is I think Sean Washington just has too much talent around him. Um, mm. And all you know those numbers and everything kind of get spread out that I don't think he's a factor in the race this year. But you know what? Who cares? Yeah. He, he's what we need him to be and more so. Let's just keep winning games. I agree with you, and I think we'll see. I mean, he, we still have a number of games left. He could emerge as just this explosive, explosive player where we've got stats like that really do rival some of these other players. I mean, we still have to play Wake. We still have to play South Carolina. We're playing Syracuse, NC State this weekend. I mean, if he's putting up 300 a game and two or three, you know two, three, four touchdowns, he, he can quickly catch up to some of these guys. But I think best case scenario for Clemson fans is get him through the season. If he can make it to Manhattan, if he's able to put up those stats and be in that top top three, four, five conversation, that's awesome for his brand going forward. He gets much more exposure. And then next season, maybe he comes in as one of the top two or three favorites in that spot. Well, yeah, and I think just the fact that he's even listed and doesn't really have the numbers to stack up, that shows you how much respect Clemson's getting um, as a team and as a whole. Uh, we know he's a very talented quarterback, and the, and the media knows that, and they're starting to catch on, and they're seeing what he can do, and his completion percentage has been amazing. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I think the fact that we do play you know, the Woffords, the App States, and he goes out early against Miami, we have blew out against BC, um, and then we have Syracuse, Wake Forest left on the schedule, games where he could leave early. You know, if you don't get the playing time and you're not playing yeah. – you're not a TCU where Boykin's in there playing teams 60 to 58, you know, all four quarters. Yeah, you're not going to have the numbers to stack up. Yeah, well, let's keep a close eye on the Heisman watch. But in, in my mind, the, the number that matters most is our W column. And I think, you know, the play of Deshaun is going to get us there. But, um, you know, we'll see if he's, when the dust settles, if he's among the top five guys um, making it to Manhattan for the Heisman, Heisman race. We are here, though, to talk about the Wolfpack, um, talk about our preview of this Saturday's game. Kickoff is at 3.30. I think a lot of us were relieved to see this not become a night game where it's already a tough enough place to play. I mean, yes, yes, I think we'll talk here about um, what we think about the matchup, but, you know, 3.30, I think that's a, that's a winnable sort of time slot matchup for us. Uh, but NC State, like what I can say about their profile coming in, they're 5-2. and two. Um, they started the year four and zero, playing a murderer's row of uh, you know FBS teams and non Power Five conference teams. But they're one and two in the ACC since um, they dropped a game to Louisville and Virginia Tech, and then they they outmuscled Wake Forest last week, thirty five seventeen. But in that game, they put up twenty eight in the first quarter, so they were outscored seventeen to seven down the stretch. Uh, again, a very weak out of conference schedule, so. Um, what do you get with this NC State team? I think they're pretty much an average, you know, middle of the road, middle of the pack ACC team um, with certain bright spots of talent across the board. Yeah, so they started off against Troy, Eastern Kentucky, Old Dominion, and South Alabama. So if you start the season like that, you should be 4-0 and you should look pretty good doing so if you want to call yourselves a, a decent ACC, ACC team. Um, but yeah, but then they start to hit more of the meat of their schedule against Louisville and Virginia Tech, and they see some losses. So yeah, clearly they're not as good as their record would indicate. Um, they are coming off of a 35-17 victory over Wake Forest, um, where they put up 28 points in the first quarter, but then they get outscored, you know, the rest of the game. Uh, so, I, you know, this is a team that I think uh, they're not 
the same team, you know, not in the same vein of uh, teams of NC State past, ones that uh, Clemson would have trouble with going into Raleigh um, and, and playing. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't think this is as tough of a matchup as we've been used to. And for me, it's kind of disappointing because I, I generally like seeing NC State as a stronger ACC team. And I really wish they could work their way back up to that. In the meantime, we're going to have to deal with Duke and North Carolina being the strong North Carolina schools. Yeah, and before we get into the specific kind of head-to-head of this matchup, I mean, NC State has put a number of good players into the NFL. Um, going back to Phillip Rivers, Mario Williams, um, Russell Wilson, and even Mike Glennon in recent years, um, you know, here and there they'll put put a guy into the league. I don't know necessarily if we see any of those players stacking up um, on this roster, at least none of the ones that we'll be facing. They've got a couple of injuries, but um, anyway, you never know here. And you know what a pl- what a a platform or opportunity for some of these guys to step up and kind of try to slay slay Goliath, if you will. So I think as we get into this preview, um, let's start when Clemson's on the offensive side of the ball, and we can maybe portray what we hope to see out of the Clemson players and talk about how we think NC State's going to match up against that. So one thing I'm going to look look for here, if you look at our point totals the last few games, um, we I, would, I won't say struggle to put up 24 against Notre Dame, but sort of eked across the finish line there with that win. Since then, we've put up 43, 34, and 58 points against Georgia Tech and then Boston College, the top t- defense in the country, and then put up 34 points, and then uh, Miami putting up 58. I mean, I think something I'll be looking for here is, have we figured out this offense? Has, has the offense sorted out how to figure out its, its way forward, where its strengths lie, when to rely on certain aspects of Deshaun Watson's skills? Um, that's something that I think is going to, I'm really going to look for against, once again, a lesser opponent in NC State. Yeah, I really think that this offense has started to hit their stride. You know, we really overcame some things early in the season. You know, obviously we start the season against Walker and Appalachian State. You're going to get a bunch of guys in there. You can't really judge a a team. Obviously, we should look good against them with all the talent that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the Louisville game, the first road game, Thursday night. Um, A bunch of young guys. And, you know, we don't look as crisp and Deshaun Watson really doesn't come out and, and really look like the, uh, the stellar quarterback that we all hoped he would be. And I think we all underestimated how these injuries may take a toll on a guy and really make him a little rusty. You know, missing some spring ball, um, you know, just coming back in the fall. Uh, so I think that had a lot to do with it. And then you have the Notre Dame game where, you know, we're in a monsoon. So that obviously doesn't play well to, to throwing the ball on offense. You really have to grind a game out. Uh, but then you really started to see things uh, turn around against Georgia Tech and then Boston College and then obviously Miami. And I think one of the things that's been a really great surprise, um, or development at least, is, is the offensive play calling between uh, Elliott and Scott. You know, we questioned it a little bit earlier in the year, but man, I think they're really doing a great do- uh, job there. They're really playing to uh, teams' weaknesses. Uh, we saw them really hit the deep passing game in the Boston College game and then turn and flip that around against Miami and just run it all over them. Uh, so, I mean, that's been really great to see, and I think they're really developing as a core uh, a duo at offense coordinator, and everything's coming together, you know, from the coaching to the, to the players and the personnel and the, all the freshmen we have on the offensive side of the ball, 
and they're really hitting their stride. We come in facing an NC State defense. They're ranked uh, third nationally in total defense, but again, these numbers are skewed due to their weak schedule. Um, but I think what you can start to look forward to this time is just as we played to BC's weakness and Miami's weakness, we're going to do the same thing with NC State, but in this case, I think you may see a more balanced attack between running and passing uh, from the offense. Yeah, it, it's, it's something we'll, look, we'll also look for. I think from a, like what we saw in the Miami game, the coaching staff really figured out what they felt Miami's weaknesses were, picked, up, picked those things apart, and the results speak for themselves. We've seen that happen against Boston College as well. Um, we really couldn't get too much going immediately in the running game. Um, some of the deep, deep routes didn't work early, but later on they did, and that opened up. So I think, like, are we able to, or are our offensive coordinators able to react to NC State's kind of the weaknesses of the day? Like, what are they giving us? Can they go out there and exploit that? Uh, yeah, that's something I, I will be looking for. Yeah, I think you're gonna, you know, NC State they play a four-two-five, uh, a little bit more untypical uh, defense. But if we really start to have success on with the ground game early on, they could switch to a more traditional four-three. Um, and I, I think that's where we're going to have to be flexible. We're not going to be able to pick on any one thing necessarily and ride that throughout the day, um, as opposed to what we saw from Boston College, who were good against the run, and then Miami, who, who didn't have a very strong uh, defensive line. You saw our O-line really start to dominate, and we rode the run. This game, I think we're going to be a little bit more balanced, and you know that's going to be nice to see. I love to see the different dynamics of this Clemson offense. I love... I loved seeing the vertical passing game at Boston College. It got off to a slow start, but it got better. It's exciting to see that. Then I love seeing uh, Galman just run over people and that offensive line be so dominant. So I think that's another thing uh, to look at uh, in this game. Does our O-line continue to dominate? We took a little bit of a step back in the BC game. We came back, you know, uh, against Miami. Uh, NC State does have a solid D-line, but they do have a tendency to give up big plays. Uh, so I think those things combined, I really want to, to see the O-line continue uh, to get better and control uh, the, their opposing foes on the opposite line. Something that I think where the line play will come into, come into um, effect here from Clemson's O-line standpoint is um, not only from a balanced attack standpoint, but will they continue to build on the experience that they've gotten this year as a group, build that continuity, um, and dominate? And continue to open up what I believe Quacking Tiger called uh, car size holes. Or I'm sorry, that was uh, seldom used reserve. Like you know, they're clearing enough space for not only Gallman to run through, but basically you know the the car he rode to the stadium in on. Um, will that continue to be the case? I think NC State definitely has a really strong defensive line. One of the matchups that I'm going to be looking forward to is Mitch Hyatt against Mike Rose, the defensive end on the quarterback's blind side for NC State. That's going to be key. And one of the one of the big things that I think all Clemson fans would agree with is keeping Deshaun Watson healthy is the top priority in this football match. Certainly winning the game, but keeping Deshaun upright, able to move around the pocket, make his throws, or at the very least uh, stay healthy this, through this game. So that's something to look for is just O-line play for us. Yeah, so Rose leads the ACC with sacks at uh, six and a half a game. And their, their defensive ends on a whole, you know, 17.5 uh, tackles for loss and 13 sacks on the year. They're really going to attack the edge. 
Um, so we're really going to see a guy like Mitch Hyatt, you know, he continues to get tested game after game, and he has looked great. I expect that he continues to do so, um, but that's going to be, again, they're going to have a pass rush off the edge, uh, and to balance that, uh, are we able to, to protect and block them? Is, is Galman going to be able to run the ball up the middle? Um, but then also, are we going to able to spring Zach Brooks uh, wide on a couple runs? And again, he's our speedster back, and he's really starting to emerge. Um, so all these other things combined is going to really help set up the passing game, which, again, I, I don't think it's going to be just run and, and uh, solely run or pass in this game. It's going to be a combination of both, and I think things are really have to start to work together. So I think it starts on the offensive line and see what those guys can do. And now let's get into the passing game. Um, we're going to see some more deep balls in this game um, than I think we saw in the Miami game. Uh, uh, NC State's secondary is it's untested, but they are very talented. I think Watson's going to have to be a lot more precise on his deep balls than he has been. Yeah, for sure. I mean, NC State has the athletes to go up there and get it and disrupt this. We've seen he has seven interceptions on the year. Not all of those can be attributed to him. Some of them were plays that Sharon Peak for one, didn't go up and get or contest um, as a wide receiver. But, you know, let's let's credit Deshaun with four or five picks. If we have two in this game, you know, that's two more possessions we, we give that team. Uh, if those happen earlier and in an opportune moment for us to go ahead and ice the game, you let them off the mat, like who knows? So that's going to be critical here um, for Deshaun. to. It's important that he continues to build his confidence and is willing to take those deep throws if they're there for him to take. But precision and just accuracy on that is going to be crucial. I think you touched on earlier, though, I think he's starting to trust his knee a bit more as he you know, moves forward and tries to make, make throws in the pocket. Um, that confidence is going to help him to make put the right touch in the ball um, to put it out of the grasp of their secondary and into, into the waiting hands of Sharon Peak and hopefully Deion Kane. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned Kane. So let, let's start with Peak and Kane. Um, you know, we're kind of starting to see the, the roles at these skill positions really start to be more clearly defined as the year goes on. Uh, you know, you mentioned Peak. He had some drops earlier in the season or some and some plays, some balls he really didn't give enough effort on that either lead, led to a missed pass or an interception. He has really started to improve. And I've said this over and over again on the podcast this year is that this guy, I know he's a fifth-year senior, senior, but he's battled a lot of injuries throughout his career, so he really hasn't had a chance to get out there and play with a lot of consistency. So he's still kind of learning on the job to a certain degree, and he and he's and he's improved. Like we've seen him improve throughout this season. He's doing great at blocking downfield. Uh, he's high pointed some balls recently. He's made some good catches in the Miami game. So to really see him evolve. And improve, but he's going to be a big part of this passing game moving forward, especially since we still don't know what Mike Williams, if he's going to be back or not. Deion Kane, uh, he really could have had an opportunity to, to make a splash uh, again in the Miami game and get some more playing time. Uh, he got set out due to some attitude issues. We're not really sure what the deal was there. Um, I would like to see him come back in this game and really make an impact and show that he's, he's, he's learned his lesson from whatever happened, and he's able to put that behind him and come back and make an impact. Because, because again, in Mike Williams' absence, he can be a real downfield threat. One other area just in the receiving game that I feel is going to be important for us moving forward is the continued effective play of Jordan Leggett um, from the tight end position. Just ability to open up that middle of the field, uh, his peeling out toward the outside has also been um, 
you know, just a major shot in the arm for this team. And we talked about during the offseason and leading into our season preview just what type of Jordan Leggett season are we going to get? I think we've gotten one that exceeded expectations. You know, he was able to live up to some of the, the hype of himself coming in. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, will Leggett's play be the difference between a win and a loss here? Absolutely not. But he, he can continue to be that threat where how many good secondary options and how many good coverage linebackers can a team like NC State expect to put out there? Um, a Leggett could be a difference maker if they put their their strongs and their bigs up against, you know, Kane Peak and um, Artavis Scott. Maybe Leggett can be that guy that hurts them. Maybe Hunter Renfro can be that guy that hurts them. Um, I think that, you know, we do have that embarrassment of riches. And this goes back to the offensive play calling. How, how much are we spreading the ball out and finding really where they're, where we've got that matchup advantage? And let's exploit the hell out of that. Yeah, with Leggett, you know, he's not catching as many balls as we thought he may uh, this year. But one thing he is doing, he's catching touchdown passes. What does he have, like four or five games in a row with a TD? He's also, he's also blocking really well. And that's the one thing we've been really wanting out of him, to see that effort. And he's pulling it all together this year. Um, against this game against NC State, um, uh, their middle linebacker, uh, Gerard Fernandez, a 2014 freshman All-American, he could be out with an ankle injury in this game. Uh, and so is, is that an area where we really start to attack over the middle again? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where Leggett could become part of that, or even a guy like Hunter Renfro coming yeah. across the middle. Yeah, we've definitely thrown to Renfro up the middle. I mean, he's basically super versatile. We can hit him at any angle. Um, so we look forward to that. I really quickly here. I just looked up some advanced stats. Um, heading over to um, Football Outsiders and Bill Connolly with his S and P Plus ranking system has um, NC State at believe that they're at the twenty second uh, overall ranking in terms of advanced stats. That looks at you know strength of opponent, um, situational stats outside of garbage time. Um, you know where would they stack up? Interestingly, Clemson has already played and beaten three opponents in the top 20 or stop sorry uh we we will end up having at this point in the season four opponents in the top 22 uh, with nc state they're at 22 app state's number 20 florida state is at 11 notre dame's eighth in advanced stats overall Uh, clemson by the way in that that rating system um, again you know these are kind of the stats nerds that break this stuff down um we are number one and we're We've maintained that for two or three weeks now. Michigan, number two. Baylor, number three. Alabama, number four. So I expect Baylor to probably move down move down a bit in the next couple of weeks. Uh, potentially, let's see how that new quarterback comes in. But it's not all about advanced stats. I just think this is another lens. Like if NC State is third in the country defensively in terms of yards per game, um, these advanced stats guys, by the way, have them at 29th in the country based on defensive advanced stats. Yeah, and again, that goes back to the the quality of, of their opponents, which the force the first four games of the year were just, you know, yeah. I mean, we have they give us the 10th strongest strength of schedule in the country. Yeah. Um so, and I, I would agree with that. I think we going on the road to Louisville hosting Notre Dame. Yeah, Georgia Tech's been down a bit, but that's always a tough game. So. They give us the 10th strongest schedule? Yes. That's about to take a hit in the coming weeks. I, I would probably agree with you. I mean, I, I think what we're hoping for is Notre Dame to go on and beat Stanford. That would move us up, um, just knowing that we won that game. But we will, yeah, 
and again, like that, that only matters if we're on that bubble of, you know, number, number six, number five, number four in the country, that, that rating and that kind of quality style win, um, are going to be really important. So let's continue to beat the tar out of the teams that we do play. Um, we beat Miami the right way and let's move on. Yeah. And that's all we can really do. And you know what? It starts with a Clemson defense. Uh, so moving on to that. Uh, kind of a question we will have game after game. Do we see another dominating performance from this defense? I so badly now for the rest of the season want to just call, start calling shutouts, except for maybe the uh, Florida State game. I won't, but, you know, let's start there. Uh, are they are they dominating again? I think so. You know, NC State, uh, they have a decent rushing game, but they haven't had a lot of big plays in the passing game to balance that. They improved on that in the Wake Forest game. You know, Jacoby Brissett, their quarterback, I think has stepped taking a bit of a step back this year. He's a good QB. His rushing production has been limited this year. I think that has a lot to do with kind of the emergence of, um, of Matt Days, uh, their running back. He had 205 yards against Wake Forest on only 16 carries, which is a uh, huge 12 run- rushing yards uh, or TDs on the season. That leads the ACC in seventh uh, in all of college football. Um, but he's been limited against uh, good defenses, the same way that kind of year B from Miami had and then precise. Uh, so, again, it all starts with, with our defense on the interior defensive line and stuffing the run. Are they able to do that in this game? I think so. Yeah, good good call. I mean, I think um, we really haven't faced an elite running back to this point outside of CJ Procise, and I think we know what, what happened with that. Brent Venables has the ability to single out an offense's greatest strength or, you know, an area that that can hurt us and neutralize that. I think with um, we didn't really see a complete game, obviously, from Brad Brad Kaya based on knocking him out with a concussion. Um, But early on, he made a defensive adjustment and moved Mackenzie Alexander basically into I believe it was the was it the nickel position or basically the The yeah Yeah. into the nickel. Um, That's an adjustment that I don't know that anyone kind of projected or foresaw. But it seemed to work exceptionally well in neutralizing what they did in that first quarter. And it's the same thing that the offense has been doing and preying on the weaknesses of opposing defenses. And so we're seeing both sides of the ball, both coaching staffs, really being creative and adaptive to who we're playing. And, uh, you know, part of that is their kind of creative genius. Part of it is, too, the athletes that we have on both sides of the ball. Because, you know, certain schools, they get good athletes, but they can only, they're only good at one thing or the other. We're so dynamic with the guys that we have on the field. We have the ability to really switch them up and do different things. 100%. Um, one area that, I mean, I gave these guys my defensive game ball last week, but uh, Shaq Lawson, Kevin Dodd, setting the edge on the defense, not only from are they going to try to bounce the ball outside, but establishing a pass rush. These guys were doing it last week with two two players, uh, two rushers. Let's, let's let the defensive middle interior part of that line like sit back and not let anything up over the middle but yeah i I think these guys establishing themselves and getting a pass rush going um i mean have you have you looked at that nc state line do you feel like they'll have that advantage on the outside edge well they've played poorly all year they've allowed 17 sacks um so nc state they they really try to get the ball to the edge with their sweeps and jets and options and such but that hasn't worked you know in their first four games it worked but not when they started playing opponents who really had the similar or better speed. And I think we can all agree that we are going to have better speed in this game across our defensive front. So Lawson and Dodd, I expect them uh, 
to, to continue to step up in this game and, and then start talking about the interior line going back to them and shutting down the run. I mean, DJ Reader coming in and just being another part of this. I mean, I was amazed at how good he looked coming back from his first game after being, you know, how many ever, six games off. Uh, so I think our defensive line has a huge advantage in this game, and they're going to continue to set the tone as they have all year long. Maybe to move, I'm going to move all the way back in the defensive formation to the secondary. Uh, something that I, I think where an NC State team um, with a capable quarterback in Jacoby Brissett, um, you know, he hasn't really flashed deep throw capabilities, nor do I expect him to do that in this game. Um, I think, again, I'm not going to suggest that we get our Mackenzie Alexander pick and the follow-up shot from Cody, um, which we still haven't decided what that's going to be. But I, I'm not expecting that in this game necessarily. I don't expect them to test us deep. But if they do get down by two to three touchdowns, maybe they will open that up and go that route. Uh, but that's something where I actually feel like I'd like to see us start to flash some more depth there with Blanks, with Tankersley, um, even let's see if you know Van Smith has earned himself some playing time. Obviously, TJ Green and um, Jaron Curse are at the top of that depth chart um, within the secondary, but we'll see what the score is later on in the game if we can get Van Smith back in there or if Brent Venables, with his um, you know it's formations four two five, decides to you know get creative with bringing some guys in. Yeah, they haven't really uh, trusted Brissett with, uh, with risky or deep throws this year, um, which is kind of curious. Um, maybe in part it has to do with the wide receivers not being as talented. Uh, they got two guys, Ramos and Hines. We really don't expect them to be much of a factor in this game. Um, you know, Tank continues to show that he's a solid cornerback. Like, everybody going away from Mac, like, you know, your other option is Cordrea Tankersley now, and he's been locked down. Um, and Van Smith really emerged uh, in last game. Does that have to do with kind of the way the game was going or what? Was he over-aggressive and just got lucky sometimes? We'll see, but it'll be interesting to see if he moves into the two deep this week and really starts to get a lot more playing time. Um, and kind of lastly in the secondary, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, he's, he's getting close to likely closing out his Clemson career. Does he get his first interception? So we are now officially on Mac Watch. Um, and, and we've talked about this uh, before. Uh, Cody is uh, buying the, uh, the podcast, at least, around the shots. We'll see if that, we can extend that to the bar. Um, depends on what point of the game we are. Um, mm -hmm. But what do we think about Mac getting a pick this week? I think it's unlikely, yeah. but we're, we're, we're pulling for it. I said unlikely just based on are they going to attack his side of the field. I think, if anything, they'll try to go deep on um, Tankersley. But, you know... Coaches get crazy sometimes. Yeah, I think probably FSU is going to be his best opportunity. Um, kind of hoping it's actually the South Carolina game, though, for his first one. Mm. But we'll see. Again, officially on Mac Watch, I'll see if he gets one. We're rooting for it. Um, I guess finally, linebackers, you know, you know Bullware uh, and Goodson have just been, you know, monsters this year, playing a majority of the snaps. They finally got some uh, relief in the Miami game. Um, you know, with uh, Kendall Joseph and I think Jeffrey Gibson coming in and playing some. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel has uh, been getting increasing playing time this year. I think in this uh, game, uh, we start to see Travis Blanks come back, whereas Adrian Baker spelled him because of uh, Miami's uh, more vertical passing threat the last game. I think you see Blanks come back into the fold as well as O'Daniel continue to get more playing time. 
So Ben, let me ask you, um, I don't think either of us are expecting NC State to mount a a super big threat to Clemson this game, but um, in what aspect of NC State's offense or Clemson's defense do you feel the most exposed or unprepared? Where do you think they can get their bones this week? Uh, To be honest with you, um, I, I don't think they pose a big threat to us at all in really any aspect of the game. And I, I say this with confidence because I know how talented we, talented we are in every phase of the game and how well we're coached and how focused these kids are. I mean, listen, um, at this point, there's no excuse for NC State being more talented than us at any position. And that's showing. We have the talent. I don't expect a letdown in any phase of the game. And just across the board, we're better than they are. And, 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 and that's going to show. Yeah, I think for me, just looking back at a few of our more recent games, um, if they are able to, you know, have sort of the delayed over the middle route, that would be the only thing that they could continue to extend drives on our team. Uh, but I think that's something where Brent Venables, it, I don't think you'll see this same defense get exposed two times in the same season with the same style of offensive play calling. So I think that's where we, we would we would like to see him make adjustments. So I, I completely agree with you. I don't see them grinding grinding out the clock on with their running game. I don't see their quarterback dicing up this defense too much. I think it could just be something where maybe their primary options don't work. They find some, you know, safety valve kind of screen pass game late, um, where a, a tight end or a running back kind of peels off. But that's not how you sustain an offense against a ferocious D like Clemson. It's not how you overcome a high powered offense like Clemson's. So. Um, I think with that, like let's let's maybe say some final comments on special teams, but I think we're pretty close to making some predictions here. Um, yeah, the only thing I've got on special teams, uh, Lake of continuing uh, to improve on kickoffs. I think we've really found the key of how to, to lock in, um, you know, touchbacks, and that's uh, draw 15-yard penalties um, mm. <laughs> after scoring. Because uh, when that happens, Lake looks great. It's too bad we don't play Miami every week, right? Uh, but yeah, I think you know another area is just on the punt return game. We've had some fumbles. We haven't had any exceptional runbacks. I think our average yard. I'd love to look up this stat, but our average um, field position is not exceptional. So um, I'm fine. Continuing to be fair catch university in this aspect. Um, we were hoping for some scores. We were hoping for some, um, you know, some some playmaking there, especially from guys like Artavis Scott and Ray Ray McLeod. If that's not there. Like, let's hand the ball to Deshaun Watson in this, this offense. Yeah, I totally agree. At this point, I've given up on, on having any sort of dynamic return game in either punts or kickoffs. Just get the ball, secure it, stay healthy, and go score. Cool. Well, let's move on to predictions. Um, maybe we can start with Cody. So, unfortunately, he couldn't join us tonight. He's throwing out there a 48-17 to 17, uh, Clemson victory margin. I, for one, feel like 17 is a bit generous to NC State. I don't know if that's factoring in an untimely turnover, something like that. But I have NC State more in the 10 range in terms of points scored. They do have playmakers. They do have a, a pretty solid quarterback. This is this is a road game. Um, I, I forget what I predicted for Miami. I think I gave them credit for 17 points, and I was way off there. But um, I think NC State is going to be a much better team than Miami. They're less likely to quit on their coach. They're less likely to... Um, get punched in the mouth and just fall over like like King Hippo and Mike Tyson's punch out. 
So um, yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go ten points for NC State. And in terms of Clemson's production, um, I feel like we're gonna be content here from a coaching standpoint with a comfortable victory. Seems like that was the case with our matchups against Boston College and Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, Georgia Tech, where we established sort of a second quarter, third quarter lead. Even against Miami, we didn't really you know run the score up too much. So I'm going 38 to 10. I could even see this being 42 to 10. You know, very easily here depending how the first quarter goes, but um, comfortable Clemson victory here. And I, you know, I'm very hopeful that our team is, is focused on this, this NC State matchup and does not have a look ahead. Well, for me, I honestly think that North Carolina State is a worse team than Miami um, all around, but uh, I think the difference in this game is, is North Carolina State is not the type of team that's going to lay down yeah. um, after getting punched in the mouth. Um, so all things being equal, I've got us uh, 45 to 10, just kind of the way things have gone the past few games. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, we get up on them early and, and convincingly and then start to, to, to get some younger uh, second and third string guys in there. Um, second string guys, uh, you know, late, mid, second quarter, and then third string starting to come in in the third quarter. And, you know, it's, it's a convincing 45 to 10 victory. My only question is... Um, does Dabo really start to put his foot on the pedal in running up the score, knowing that we have a very weak schedule for the most part to end of the season, and we're going to have to keep up perception because we saw what a 58 to nothing game did. You know, the previous week, uh, I think when we beat Boston College, we actually lost ground to Louisiana State when they jumped us. Then we turn around and win 58 to 10, and we jumped two teams um, in LSU and um, TCU, I believe it was. I uh, know, yeah. Uh, Utah, too. Yeah, and TCU. In Utah exactly. lost. So um, I, I think that's the X factor. Does Dabo see the fact that we have after NC State? Um, Florida State, obviously a good team, but then to end the season, we have uh, Syracuse, Wake Forest, and South Carolina, which are just powder puff teams <laughs> at this point. Um, so does he see these opportunities really to, to put, you know, run up the scoreboard to keep perception of, up and really lock us in uh, to a playoff spot? So, what's your score? Forty-five to ten. I hold solid with that. With with how things have been going, I will just I'll say forty-five to ten. It's a, you know, it's a solid win for Clemson. North Carolina State never has a chance. Fair enough. So that's that's where we land on this game. Um, definitely gonna be excited to watch that together and break this one down. And you know, as our final test before really the biggest matchup of the season with with the Seminoles. Um, one area we wanted to, to discuss before we wrapped up today, um, in the past, you know, when we brought up the, the concept of out of shape players, we accused them of excessive Bojangles consumption, be it, you know, in the breakfast sandwich variety, what's great about Bojangles, you also get fried chicken there. You can also get, you know, some, some greasy, unhealthy burgers later in the day if you want. Bojangles certainly is up there as a very famous and important Southern culinary option for you. Um, but these comments that we've gotten from folks, you know, they're, they're like, why are you hating on Bojangles, um, brought to mind, like really something we haven't addressed yet. And I think that's our podcast power rankings when it comes to our Southern chain restaurants, um, that we've all experienced and know and love. So without further ado, I don't think we're necessarily hating on Bojangles. I think it's, we're acknowledging, uh, the health factor and how you feel walking out of that restaurant after you've eaten. So, um, Let's, let's rattle off our, our power rankings here. To lay some ground rules, um, these are not necessarily fast food. These are uh, restaurants you find throughout the South that 
you know, some people would attribute to be to being Southern by nature. So uh, Ben and I conferred on this. We're going to start with number five. We got Cracker Barrel at number five. Um, this is a staple along the, the highways and freeways of the South. Um, you got your little kind of golf tee game at the table with the triangle game. Classic. You got your gift shop at the front. Um, it's pretty much, they're kind of approaching it from like... Rocking chairs and front porch. Rocking chairs are great. There's a constant wait. I don't think anyone's ever walked into a Cracker Barrel and not waited 10 to 15 minutes before sitting down. But um, it's, you know, generally pretty consistent. Um, and it seems like to me like you've got kind of more like a diner approach to, like a southern diner approach to the menu there. Uh, so Cracker Barrel, you know, pretty good. Let's calibrate them at number five. Number four, Bojangles. Uh, I think Bojangles there, solidly in a number four spot. If they, if they, you know, overhauled themselves and came up with a little bit more quality, we might consider moving them up because, you know, I feel like they, they do have, I mean, they're, they're true blue Southern and you can only find them in the South. I would love it if someone opened a Bojangles out here in the West Coast. Uh, but we'll put them at number four. A little bit of a controversial one here at number three. We're going to go Chick-fil-A, number three. Which we actually do have here on the West Coast. Very sparsely uh, situated out here on the West Coast. Uh, there's actually one on our way up to Lake Tahoe, which is where we go to go skiing. And every time we go up there, we we spend like $35 at Chick-fil-A, just loading up on chicken sandwiches. Chick-fil-A is awesome. I think if we were evaluating breakfast, they would be probably a number two or number one. Um, but yeah, Chick-fil-A, good work, guys. Um, please open up more on the West Coast. Number two, Zaxby's. Um, this is so good. This is incredible. So good. Uh, this is like Cracker Barrel, though. You go there, you're going to be waiting a while for your food. Uh, it's not in any sense. I would. I hesitate to call it fast food. I think, um, you know, it's any any order with chicken in it, you're going to be really happy. Um, and lastly, the leader in the clubhouse, undisputed champion, Waffle House. Um, you'll notice we did not have Huddle House on this list. Uh, I don't. Does Huddle House even serve waffles? No, only pancakes. Disgraceful. Um, Waffle House. Pancakes just, are clearly northern. Absolutely. <laughs> Coming from a Yankee, I agree with that. So <laughs> Waffle House, um, absolutely number one. Uh, again, a, a chain I would love to see propagate out here on the West Coast, but uh, they take the cake. I don't know if that'll ever change, but um, I love it. Yeah, somehow you mentioned health uh, associated with this and how you feel when you leave the place. I wouldn't say leaving Waffle Health, I feel especially healthy, but the time of the morning I'm usually there when I'm leaving, yeah, I'm feeling great. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. Or, you know, at three in the morning. So really quick, I guess, before we wrap up today, um, any matchups you're looking especially forward to this weekend, Ben? Yeah, I guess a couple to start off with. Um, not really a great weekend for college football, um, but let's take a look at some teams we might face up against if we make it to the ACC championship game. Um, you know, obviously we have Duke, uh, who has been uh, unreasonably good in, 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 in the past years. Uh, they face off against Miami, a team that we just annihilated. So Miami will be uh, at number 22 Duke. They'll have a new coach. Let's see how they respond. I expect Duke to win this game. Um, but then I think a more interesting matchup, uh, North Carolina at number 23, Pitt. Uh, Pitt only one loss on the year, I think. Same thing with North Carolina. Um, I think North Carolina maybe has had more challenges. Uh, they're only lost being to South Carolina to start the season. So I kind of got North Carolina in this game. Yeah, to me that's the game of the week that I'm looking at, um, just in terms of obviously who we're going to face in the Coastal Championship. 
like if we make it to the ACC championship, who who wins the Coastal? Clearly Duke. You know they're a team to watch here, but the winner of that game could very well come to us. Um, I need to see what time that game's on, but yeah, I mean I think Pitt we don't know enough about. They had an injury to their lead running back, uh, James Conner, coming to the season, but they have a stellar wide receiver uh, and can definitely you know close a gap um, in terms of points scored. So it's just crazy to me though that UNC. That South Carolina game, that kickoff game of the season, if they had found a way to win that game, they could be undefeated at this point. What would they be ranked even? I mean, I know they haven't played a ton of great teams, but they're a Power 5 team. They'd be undefeated. I think they'd definitely be in the, you know, sort of like 15 to fifteen to 18 range. They might be hanging around 10. I mean, we look at Iowa, who is uh, undefeated somehow. Yeah. We, we don't know what to think of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would put them kind of in that range. Uh, it, it's interesting that, that the uh, ACC Coastal could come down to two basketball powerhouses from Tobacco Road. Crazy. Crazy times in the Coastal. Um, elsewhere, you know, affects us. Um, no, the game day matchup this week is Notre Dame and Temple at played at the Philadelphia Eagles Stadium. Um, I think it's called the Link. Yeah, I mean, Temples look decent. They look pesky. Uh, but I still think Notre Dame is going to roll in that one. Uh, they've got Pitt the week after that, and then they face off with Stanford, I believe, um, in South Bend. So, yeah, we'll take a look. We'll see what, what Notre Dame can put up there, what they get from Kaiser and Procise and Will Fuller, what they get from that defense. But um, I, I think at this point we're solidly in that top four conversation. We shouldn't necessarily be rooting for Notre Dame here for our strength of schedule. But every time they keep winning, they're currently number nine. That makes us look all the better. Well, the interesting thing is, is it's not about making us look better. It's they could possibly creep their way back into the, the, the playoff discussion if they went out. You think about the other teams that could lose with Baylor. Uh, their QB going down and TCU, I think, is not strong. Or they will eventually lose a game. That could completely count out the Big 12. Uh, the Pac-12, do they have a team at the table right now? Not if Notre Dame beats Stanford. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then you're looking at ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big Ten. They could self-destruct too. They could. Notre Dame has a has a fighter's chance. Um, I will go so far as to say, is there a possible rematch? Could be interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people were saying, "Oh man, great, we won." Would love to see how that game would have played out on a neutral field, not in a monsoon. We may get our chance. That could be interesting. Um, I think. I like our chances against them, knowing what we know. That was, by no stretch of the imagination, our best game. Um, and we sort of shut down our offense, you know, self-inflicted. So that could be cool. That could be interesting. And then lastly, uh, South Carolina, Texas A&M. Can South Carolina win another game the rest of the year? Remains to be seen. Uh, sad state of affairs. Sorry, sorry to our little brothers down south, but... Um, yeah, I don't think so. They've got the Citadel uh, the week before <laughs> us, um, which normally would be an easy win, but the Citadel actually isn't terrible this year. I mean, if there's a year where you know they'll be motivated, like yeah. a lot of these guys played in high school together, um, so we'll, we will see. Yeah, and South Carolina could be you know, looking ahead. Uh, a big home game to end the year. Uh, won't be bowl eligible in all likelihood. Uh so to end their season uh, uh, with a win at Clemson, they could overlook the Citadel. So do they win the rest of the year? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, kind of elsewhere to wrap this up, um, Baylor's got a, a bye week this week. Um, I don't know if there are any other super compelling top 10 matchups um, elsewhere in the country. Wouldn't call it like a boring weekend necessarily. I mean, I'd much rather have uh, a college football weekend with not many you know, marquee matchups than a weekend in May, for instance. But um, you know, anyway, I'm sure these are the weekends generally where you get you know, crazy upsets to be happening. So let's hope we stay you know, unscathed in that conversation. Number one, Ohio State, they play at uh, um, home in Columbus versus Minnesota who gave TCU a game. I don't think they've done much since then, but um, probably unlikely the Buckeyes fall there. Never know. Like I said, Baylor is on a bye. Um, I think a lot of things are leading up to two weekends from now. We play Florida State. Bama-LSU match off. That's going to be huge for national championship implications. Uh, Baylor goes to Kansas State. And I forget who TCU has, but effectively I think the next couple weeks should be pretty revealing for the national title race. Yeah, TCU has West Virginia this week. Um, Ohio State's on a bye. Um, and then I guess uh, Baylor is too. Yep. Great. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Thanks again. Um, maybe tuning in to the recap for me or not, depending on uh, baby arrival. But appreciate the listens as always, sharing this with your friends, any iTunes reviews that you're able to put up. Um, feel free to visit ClemsonPodcast.com or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And thank you very much. Go Tigers.